Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome back to Games on the Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. What are we celebrating today, though? You've chosen wisely, and <laughs> you have chosen to listen to an episode covering Black Mirror, specifically the interactive episode released at the end of 2018, Bandersnatch. Ooh. <laughs> I always say ooh. <laughs> I just got to get very excited when we're about to start a conversation where I'm not quite sure what we're going to say. It's very unusual, this episode, I think. It's um, not your usual uh, Marines go to an island (laughs) to find a computer game-inspired nemesis, possibly called Nemesis. We possibly wouldn't have done an episode such as this were it not for the fact that it is very much involved with video games. It's not your straightforward video game movie. In fact, because of its narrative, it's not necessarily straightforward either. It is uh, an interactive movie, but that in of itself is not the reason to do a movie just because it's interactive, because there have been examples uh, to a certain extent of interactive entertainment and media, but... We're not going to do a podcast on Atmosphere or Star Trek, the interactive video board game, much to my disappointment. (laughs) Um, We know we may touch on those in in, uh, certain episodes in future, but yes, I guess because... The subject matter of this particular episode, or I guess maybe TV movie or streaming movie, whatever you want to call it, of Black Mirror. It defies explanation. It defies categorization. Defies everything. Yes. Yes, because this is very much the, the story is embedded in the uh, milieu of video games, specifically video game uh, development. But before we get embedded into the ins and outs and workings of Bandersnatch itself, We thought we'd talk a little bit more about Black Mirror in general because we're recording this episode now some six months or so after Bandersnatch arrived on Netflix. There is a new season of Black Mirror which has just come out at time of release, although at time of recording it's it's yet to be uh, mm. released so we haven't seen any of the new episodes yet maybe though... maybe there's an episode about podcasts Ooh. where like two twats talk about <laughs> bollocks down down your ear holes and you end up killing yourself what a horrible horrible idea that could be that would mm. never happen never but um, you're right, um, Black Mirror season, I guess we're calling it season five, yes. is, is imminent. I think it's about three episodes long, though, so not as long as the last season, but I think part of that is because this was a big, technically 90 minutes long. Snatch was a massive endeavour, because I think about five hours of content was produced, and um, I think... Well, I mean, I lost the sense of time playing this uh, this interactive game. But uh, yeah, Black Mirror. Um, I, I think in the new episodes, I I don't know how much any of them are video gamey, having not watched them yet. Although I think in one of the trailers, there does seem to be some sort of VR beat 'em up game, um, which looks 
kind of fun, but it's probably dark and sinister and you die in the game. Yeah, if you get hurt in the game, if you get kicked in the nuts. But uh, Black Mirror started originally, it's not always been a Netflix show, it was originally on Channel 4, but before that, I guess we had been fans of Charlie Brooker's work for quite some time. Yeah, so in case you didn't know, Charlie Brooker is the brain behind Black Mirror's concepts, but um, he started out, I think, as a video game journalist. I think, yeah, he was doing some columns, maybe some comic strips for, I think PC Zone was a Mm. magazine he was working on at the time. But he also had, as a side project, um, a website called TV Go Home, and that was sort of a satirical look at the Radio Times, creating... Uh, a lot of, uh, f- <laughs> I'm just thinking of some now, um, some like TV listings, but um, often of a very dark streak. I think my favourite, I think there was a, I think Mick Hucknall's Pink Pancakes, where <laughs> Mick Hucknall presses his scrotum against glass windows. And <laughs> that filled out for half hour telly, apparently. I mean, I'm sure if you went back to that website now, there are things which had only been dreamed about at the time, which have since manifested themselves in the uh, mm-hmm. annals of reality TV. I know. I mean, we were through the looking glass when Channel 5 did Naked Jungle, where... With Keith Chegwin. Keith Chegwin, famous children's presenter... R.I.P. Was, ...was dancing around. It was actually filmed on location... Not on location. Uh, <laughs> filmed on location in the Aztec zone, though, but there was a kid's version of the Crystal Maze sort of deal. I think yeah, that was Jungle ju- Run. Jungle Run. And I've seen things which which haunt me to this day. <laughs> and so I, that was the sort of thing which would have been imagined in TV Go Home. Yeah. And then I think, I think my first encounter of Charlie Brooker was actually something called the Unovations Catalogue. So he, like a, the usual crappy Christmas catalogues you'd get with special gifts and or the Argos catalogue, it was the same sort of humour he used for TV Go Home, but for products such as, is this the most effective baker infuriating hat? <laughs> which was sort of like a, a, pork, a bowler hat with a massive placard on it which said, all bread is shit and I piss on yeast. Yeah. And... Um, I distinctly remember just picking that up in the humour section of of a Waterstones and just laughing out loud, like wetting myself reading this little book. And um, a lot of the things which show up in this silly throwaway thing show up like an episode of Black Mirror. Um, specifically, the best the best bit was this thing called the Kiss Mammal Three Thousand. Oh God, yeah. Which was like. Basically, a pig you could fuck with several fantasy orifices at the back. And your face. And your face on the front. And though it came with a complete instruction manual, actually. And to activate your Kiss Mammal, um, it would come in like a sealed bag, which you'd put in the bath. And you'd fill up the bath a little bit and put some saline lotion in it or something. It says, one of the instructions says, please resist the urge to... Punch your kiss mammal for no good reason. <laughs> um, and I think it said some some users may find it hard to reach climax while having sex with like a a squealing fuck beast or something. But that that method of turning the kiss mammal into basically to to make him alive was used in the black Epis- black mirror episode. Uh, Be right back where. Yeah. Um, Hayley Atwell's boyfriend played by... Donald Gleeson. Donald Gleeson. 
um, is is resurrected via the same means. And um, I don't know how many fantasy orifices he had in that show. So that, that was my first encounter of uh, Charlie Brooker. But then he ended up writing for The Guardian. And I think actually you were the one who introduced me to his articles there. He had a column reviewing uh, TV shows in The Guardian called Screen Burn. As an extension of that, he then made a move himself to TV uh, with Screen Wipe and then the News Wipe and Weekly Wipe. And Wipe is a very odd thing to have at the end of the programme <laughs> title, but I think yeah. it, it's... I mean, also he was working with um, Chris Morris, wasn't he, on... Um, Nathan Barley. Nathan Barley, who actually originated as a creation of the TV Go Home, I think it was meant to be a fly on documentary about a sort of... Kind of Shoreditch hipster twat. That's become ever more prescient as well. I think it was very much based on like Vice magazine or that sort of culture of... I think we're at the other end now. Obviously, we're not living in the perfect world in the slightest, but it's so funny to look back at sort of the magazine culture of the early 2000s. And I think there was a lot of, oh, we're very ironic and, and, you know, we're post-sexism and all this stuff. And no, No. (laughs) it was actually much worse. You know, we all were not as bad as the 70s. Insidiously, you kind of were. (laughs) The other thing I liked that he did was uh, Dead Set, which um, was a marvellous zombie miniseries. It was centred around the UK version of Big Brother and a zombie apocalypse starts outside of the Big Brother house and um, the Big Brother residents are the only people who survive. But it also had fantastic cameos from a lot of the contestants in the show. Yeah, the beauty of it was that it was produced by the same company as Big Brother, so they had access to the same sets and uh, they had Divina McCall, the presenter, mm. um, in it. It was fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, it one. had that sort of sense of authenticity as well as having a really good cast yeah, as well. Yeah, I was well. going to say, Riz Ahmed's in it, Jamie uh, Winston is in it, and um, Andy... Kevin Eldon, Kevin Andy Nyman. Eldon, Andy Nyman. Yeah, I, I think Dead Set was, in a way, the jumping off point for Black Mirror. The ideas in Dead Set sit very well into the Black Mirror universe, and you can, you can almost see it as a sort of... Um, not a prequel, because Black Mirror is an anthology series. Uh, so each episode is a different set of people and characters, even oh, though they're all... I thought all the same story. <laughs> they invent a new technology all the time. How crazy. Yeah. Well, there are hints in lots of Black Mirror episodes referencing... Sort of Easter eggs. Yeah, there are little Easter eggs and hints uh, referencing other episodes in Black Mirror, including in Bandersnatch, which uh, I'm sure we'll mention a few of those there as well. But yes, I, I think you can definitely see the uh, DNA of Black Mirror emerging from Dead Set. And with uh, with Black Mirror, he teamed up with um, uh, executive producer and showrunner Annabelle Jones. And together they've sort of created, yeah, a, a kind of Twilight Zone-inspired-esque anthology series. But while Twilight Zone does deal with things which are usually supernatural or alien of origin, this is more about technology and the future and... You know, where what, what things ifs? are going. Yeah, it's a big uh, what-if jamboree. And then, like, Twilight Zone is what the fuck, really. I have to admit, I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of the Twilight Zone. I went to see uh, the recent stage version. And did you, like, drop your glasses and go, I can't see it anymore! <laughs> why, God, why? I didn't quite do that. It was okay. 
I enjoyed the staging and and stuff, but I think there were some. The problem is, is that Twilight Zone was very much ahead of its time in in certain respects. But then to see that stuff on stage now, it's like it's decades old, and these twists are no longer quite so unexpected、mm. and shocking. Although I haven't seen any of the new Jordan Peele、uh, Twilight Zone series.、I've... It's not available in the UK yet, sadly. I've read some reviews, and it seems to be. It's always been a hit and miss anthology shows, but apparently there have been some very low lows、oh. and some quite good highs.、Okay. I'll definitely watch it when it's over here, but apparently it's not being knocked out of the park, which is a, a bit sad. In terms of the episodes of Black Mirror I've seen, I actually have st- I stopped watching it for no good reason, but I reached an episode which had a happy ending, and I feel like there's something subconsciously in my brain where I was just like. I think that's a good ending for Black Mirror, <laughs> and、um, I want to return to it. And this is a bit of a false economy, but because a lot of the episodes do end in a very down note, if you've had a tough day at the at the office, you kind of don't want to do that. And I say it's a false economy because the few times I have watched something deeply depressing after I've had a deeply depressing day, I end up really feeling great afterwards. It's like oh, I've seen a really good story done well. Yeah, sense of catharsis, maybe.、Mm. In terms of my favourite episodes, I have to actually go back to, I think, like the very first episode, which is the、uh, the national anthem. Charlie Brooker, I think, has said he kind of regrets making this the first episode because certain ideas are introduced in in, in it, which really turns people off.、Mm. Um, I think a princess, a member of the royal family, gets kidnapped. By somebody who then issues an ultimatum, he will release the girl, to release the princess, if the prime minister agrees to fuck a pig on national TV. And again, it goes back to innovations. It's all about having sex with an animal. And yeah, apparently Charlie Brooker said a lot of people just the very concept of that says, "Oh, is is Charlie Brooker written an entire series about bestiality?" No, but apparently that was a bit of a.、Uh, Bit of a problem for people. It's definitely going in the deep end from the get go, and it's not a show you soon find out that shies away from the concepts it suggests.、Mm, it goes there, brings home the bacon. <laughs> and、uh, what else did I enjoy? I mean, the、um, performances in that one I mentioned earlier, "Be Right Back," are, are fantastic because it deals with grief and letting go, and.、Uh, The very, I think, the very best Black Mirror episodes are, are just about believable. Could even actually happen. And actually, a running, a running problem Charlie Brooker has been facing is that they write ideas and then they get done in real life. So they have to be just beyond, just beyond cutting edge. One of the maybe less well received episodes at the time that it came out was the Waldo moment, because people thought the idea of this. Says anything? Fictional cartoon character becoming a politician was、uh, too much to bear, and then people likened it to Donald Trump, and that came true. There's that funny thing about Batman Returns, where I think the someone points out in Batman Returns, the Penguin's goal is to become the mayor of Gotham, and he gets undermined because he said something bad, and it was recorded. But now Donald Trump and And many、uh, politicians are on a platform of saying the worst thing, and、um, there are people who will go for that. But also, 
has said he does he does resent how people always view it as the show where things go horrifically wrong and that show i mentioned which has a very has a has a, has a positive um outcome the actual story is very much could, could be like a, your typical horrific black mirror episode so uh, i think from the fourth season onwards which um again there's a there's a spaceship episode and uh, like a star trek themed episode he's trying to experiment and i think this bandersnatch was was definitely an experiment and uh, i think he should be applauded for just tr- just trying new things um, another episode I've just thought of was Nosedive, which I think was the very first Netflix produced Black Mirror episode. And that is a world in which your social standing is literally based on your likes and dislikes. But apart from a Facebook page or post, it's a person. And that's I think, has been adopted in China. <laughs> yeah. Which is very creepy. <laughs> the first episode of Black Mirror I saw was actually the second episode because I went to a preview screening of 15 million merits it was part of this kind of pop-up cinema festival which was in an abandoned shop in a shopping center and it was double billed with harold and maud for some reason (laughs) not related at all but it was charlie brooker was given okay you can do preview of black mirror and you can pair it with another film and he was just like i just want to put harold and maud on because i think it's a really good film and Mm. i want people to see it so not connected in the slightest I keep trying to get my wife to watch that and I'm like it's about somebody who pretends to kill themselves and she's like I don't want to watch that <laughs> but that's kind of only the setup that's why that's why I say I say it's not really about that it's the wonderful characters and stuff yeah. but mm, hard sell but that was very much about sort of talent shows and reality tv but it also had certain aspects of video games so you can see in Charlie Brooker's work that his interest in video games has run through his career. You go back to something even like in Nathan Barley, there's a scene where the character Pingu, played by Ben Whishaw, is playing, I think, Labour Party Conference, which is a first-person horror game, <laughs> which has sort of Gordon Brown and Tony Blair like leaping out of closets and scaring you. And I think if you look at 50 Million Merits, there's this idea that the merit system and things, they have these kind of Xbox-looking avatars which Mm. are their kind of characters, which they then do um, lots of spinning, cycling, in order to... Accrue points. Accrue points, uh, which they then spend. Merits, exactly. (laughs) Um, Um, I think the episode I quite enjoyed, but I think it it sort of petered out for me. I think its it's landing was a little bit muddy, but it is certainly one of the touchdown episodes in terms of where the world has gone, because um, they have video walls with pop-ups, and the pop-ups know if you're not looking at them and if he closes his eyes he's given an alarm to open his eyes and that's a nightmare for me yeah that's many people's when they're trying to use apps (laughs) it's like the same thing it was maybe the best gag in ready player one i think when they had the pop-ups oh yeah uh, in the vr uh helmet you mentioned the sort of Star Trek episode, the USS Callister. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's set in a, a immersive multiplayer world. It reminded me a little bit more like um, Red Dwarf, Back to Reality. But I enjoyed that, and that has a certain amount of DNA shared with Bandersnatch and that it sort of looks at the development side of gaming. Similarly, there was the episode Playtest. Yeah, I actually really liked that one. I... Well, I'll... I'll... <laughs> It was an excuse to have horror. So he does, he, he play tests a video game, which is, I guess, very Matrixy, in that you are you feel like you're absolutely in the video game. 
But uh, yeah, the um, the 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 there is it has a very twist type ending, and it's kind of a lame twist as well. It's like, ooh, if only you hadn't done that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it kind of piles on about two or three twists all in one big twisty curly straw. Mm, I think all at once. Kind of self. Um, yeah, kind of a self-parody then. Yeah, I, I I think it's sort of effective. I, I felt sometimes it's it's ideas of game development and game developers was maybe a little bit I don't know hackneyed. But what's interesting about that episode and also in relation to Bandersnatch is that the world of video game development doesn't really get too much screen time. I think recently you've seen it in Paul Verhoeven's L of all things. She's like the um, boss at the video game studio and. I think you see, oh, there was that terrible BBC docudrama mini-movie with Daniel Radcliffe and Bill Paxton about the making of Grand Theft Auto. Oh, I've not seen that yet. Ooh. I think I was, I, was, I was put off it. It's um, it's pretty cringe-inducing. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess with Playtest and Bandersnatch, you have kind of examples of... I suppose Bandersnatch is more sort of indie game development now. In, in in that respect, it, I guess indie game the movie um, mm. has a little bit uh, shows the the world of at least at the time of indie game development and the idea of this game Bandersnatch being made all by one person effectively will chime with uh, people making games in their bedrooms today. I suppose. I mean, we were re- recently, of course, at that EGX Res, and mm. I absolutely loved it. And um... People who had made games just by themselves are rubbing shoulders with um, either very established studios or, or very uh, only a couple of people studios. And um, yeah, I sat down with this wonderful game, and uh, I was playing away, and I was just thinking, "Oh, this is this is really nice." And and the guy sat, who sat down next to me had just had been making it himself for years, and that was really sweet. Can't re- remember the name of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I took a card and left, but. Um, but um, I really liked this peek into 80s, this, this, the British game industry. In fact, I remember video game shops in the late mid to late 80s as well. And it was, um, it felt a little bit punk. <laughs> <laughs> might be because I was like not, I was 10 years old, but still. Video games, bleeping, blooping, masturbatory aids for emotionally crippled social outcasts, probably male outcasts, probably physically repugnant and sexually inexperienced, probably frightened of the real world, probably standing here on this very spot saying these very words to camera right now, probably me, basically. Video games are for losers like me, apparently. So are we ready to talk Bandersnatch itself? Is that a yes or a no choice? Accept or refuse. Accept or refuse. Yeah, let's let's start talking about Bandersnatch. Uh, even a bit of research on Bandersnatch, which you tell me is it's not an entirely original creation from Charlie Brooker. He didn't he didn't pluck the word Bandersnatch out of his head. Well, it seems to be a bit based on an actual episode of British gaming history. There's a good article by Chris Scullion on his Tired Old Hack website, which I suggest you read, which talks about Bandersnatch, the game that killed a company and inspired a Black Mirror episode. So just to skim through, basically at the time, uh, 1982, there was this company called Imagine Software based in Liverpool. They were founded by Mark Butler, um, the character in this Black Mirror episode is called Stephen Butler. Okay. Um, David Lawson and Eugene Evans, and they were responsible for 
some games called Arcadia Zoom, spelt with two Zs. Uh, That's and annoying. Alchemist. Yeah, it's a bit annoying. <laughs> but then in 1984, they started advertising teasers for uh, these brand new games. One was called Cyclops, and one was called Bandersnatch. They uh, advertised them in such a way to suggest that uh, actually the work on this game was going to be so intense that it could possibly kill them. So uh, a quote from one of the adverts says, when such computer wizards as you know developers in the advert are locked away for weeks on end, anything can happen. Will they maintain their sanity? Or what's more to the point, can you control your patience? Which is a bit disturbing. No, it's like nowadays we're worried about crunch time for video games. If this was flaunting it... But they followed up these these adverts. There was a further advert which detailed a progress report which said, The tension is beginning to show. Their once smiling faces are now drawn and haggard. Their eyes are bloodshot. Cyclops and Bandersnatch are beginning to take their toll. The atmosphere in Imagine House is electric. Will they succeed? Can they maintain their sanity? Will they crack under the mental burden? I quite enjoyed that half hour of, uh, I don't know, Mario Brothers. Um <laughs> Four or five people died in the making of it. Yeah, but it was worth it. It was worth it. But anyway, none of these adverts or the press surrounding it could even find out what this game was supposed to be about. The game that they were making is is different to the one that appears in the Bandersnatch TV movie episode. But uh, it was meant to be very revolutionary at the time to the extent that uh, the game, in order to play it, would have to be boxed with additional hardware, which you then install into your ZX Spectrum to give it more RAM. So the game was rumoured to cost around £40, when your average game at the time was around about £6 to £10. Crikey. Yeah. In the get in this um, Bandersnatch, I think one of the games was advertised as £6.49, and you just go, sigh. <laughs> <laughs> but then you remember the cassette load times, and you're like, I'm going to take that sigh back. <laughs> <laughs> But then it transpired that Imagine was basically heavily in debt and they hadn't paid for any of these adverts. Even the um, tape duplication firms who manufactured the games hadn't been paid either. So in July 9th, 1984, Imagine Company closed its doors, which is coincidentally the date that the episode Bandersnatch begins on. But uh, it, it turns out that actually Bandersnatch, though, um, was considered vaporware. So uh, a game that never got released is, is called Vaporware. Some of the founders did eventually set up a company and released a game called Braticus, which very much seems to be what Bandersnatch could have been and um, apparently wasn't very good at all. But interestingly, that company, which did eventually release that game, was uh, Cygnosis who um, were responsible for the likes of publishing Lemmings and Wipeout. Interesting historical legacy there. I mean, it proves that Charlie Brooker is very much into his video games, isn't he? As we said right at the start, he was a video game journalist. Like you were saying, those kind of pockets of British gaming history of the 80s and 90s is a very interesting time of video game development in this country. And I think that this episode, as well as capturing a lot of aspects of 80s Britain in its slightly bleak and grim, depressing way. I loved seeing old WH Smith and wimpy logos, and, and it definitely captured that uh, atmosphere of the time. I think in, in terms of worldwide discussion on of the creation of video games, Britain does get forgotten 
uh, in the wider world, despite the fact being quite innovative. So yeah, that was very nice to see. And yeah, millions of people now have experienced the world through Netflix. Mm. We don't really have a synopsis for this, do we? I mean, I guess we, we, we'll do our best. There's no, there's no back of the video box because Netflix, despite many emails, refused to um, create video boxes for their content. <laughs> Isn't it weird when you do see a DVD box set for a Netflix original? And you're like, I've got Netflix. What, what, what's the point? A lot of people don't. I know. And a lot of people want extras and physical media. I guess so. Actually, mm. at the time of when this episode appeared... If you went to Old Street Tube Station, they had a kind of pop-up fake display shop of an old video game shop with posters of software featured in the episode Bandersnatch. Mm. Um, Did people try and buy the fake video games then, do you think? I'm not sure you could actually go in. I think it was just a sort of display display window, which was pretty cool. I worked for a DVD store on Oxford Street once, and I ended up working in the section the porn was there was put and some guy came up to me with a box which just said adult on it which was sort of like the display box to hide the actual stuff so he just picked up a box which said adult and came up and he said is this good (laughs) and i went this is not a porn film this is just uh you know it's just to say where the porn films are um (laughs) but yeah here it's great (laughs) Did you have one of those badges where you have to sort of say your favourite film and it was like, I'm Harry, ask me about porn. Yeah. Oh, God. I did have one of those badges and it said, ask me about Doctor Who. And then the lady in the street just went, tell me about him then. <laughs> I was like, um, where do I start? Did she confuse it with sort of ask me about Jesus, like a Jehovah's Witness Maybe. badge? I told her my first was Sylvester McCoy and she rolled her eyes and went, <gasps> <sighs> and it's like... That was my age at yeah, the time. Geez. He was the doctor when I Frankly, grew up. People be cray cray. In terms of like our experience with with this episode, how did you watch it? Did you um, watch it with someone, without someone? Did you uh, watch it on your phone or? I guess spoilers for Bandersnatch. Mm. I watched it with my fiance Lisa, and uh, we watched it on her PlayStation Four using the. PS4 controller. I see. So, How about you? Well, um, I watched it with my wife, who outranks fiancés. <laughs> um, and I attempted to watch it via uh, Amazon Fire Stick. And I pressed play and I got a video saying, unfortunately, you cannot watch Bandersnatch through this device. Ooh. And I thought, oh, is, is Charlie Brooker fucking with me already? It's like, is this, well, that's, what's going on? <laughs> so I ended up watching, I'm plugging in my Xbox 360 and then watched it that way. I enjoyed the instructional video at the start because it has this little animation of someone deciding what to do or you deciding for them. And they've got a pool of sharks swimming around underneath them. And then basically it culminates with them just jumping into the <laughs> into sharks. the pool with the sharks. With typical, the best of orders. A typical Black Mirror episode there. I liked, yeah, I liked the framing of it. And um, did your controller vibrate when you had to make a choice? Ooh. I don't think so. Okay. But here's a question. Did you actually ever not make a choice and let the thing choose for you? I think I might have done once because there's the way it works is there's this kind of ticking clock effectively and you have a binary choice, one or the other usually. And I think when the clock runs out, 
the mouse goes down, you're a dittery doctor, no. <laughs> uh, when the timer runs out, it'll go to whatever choice is pre-selected already. Oh, because at one point, I thought control was being taken out of my hands. I thought, because oh, in a nutshell, we haven't done a synopsis yet, but in a nutshell, this is about choice and the illusion and whether or not choice is an illusion or if we are masters of our own destiny. And at, at one point, it gave me this binary choice. And then it seemed to move to a different choice and then click itself. And I thought, is the game... Is it messing with me? And no, I think I actually just brushed it with my hand. (laughs) by mistake. (laughs) Because then I got back to to that same section and then it allowed me to make a choice. So I guess I'll I'll try and pull a synopsis out of my my brain. Um, As we've mentioned before, Bandersnatch is about the UK video game industry of the... uh, early to mid 80s and it's about this chap called um stefan who um has created a video game based upon a choose your own adventure style book um and the author of said book went kind of mad doing it he's decided to turn this choose your own adventure style book into a video game uh, he shows it to this new company called what is it called um tucker soft tucker soft and Tuckersoft are so impressed with it, and again, this is where it gets a bit confusing because you, you, uh, Stefan is offered contract to develop the game, and then depending on what happens, he ends up making the game with the sometimes assistance of a chap called Colin Rittman, played by Will Powter. Colin is sort of uh, like a prodigy. He is like a he is the the hot shit in <laughs> video game design. Yeah. But yes, the the thing event it kind of free wheels because as the game he is making is about binary choices and going down different paths, and the film you are watching at various points asks you to make decisions which could be entirely incidental or seemingly incredibly important. You really start to wonder: Are you affecting? Is well, Stefan, I should say, is starting to wonder: Is he making the choices or? Uh, does he become aware of actual the viewer of the show? I think that's as best as I'm going to get. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly more coherent than my Tomb Raider description <laughs> uh, way back in episode one. <laughs> but it's it's hard to do a synopsis when this has multiple endings mm-hmm. and multiple routes in order to get to those said endings. It's like when you um go to Mortal Kombat, let's say 11... When in ten, certain characters got beheaded, and, he, and we decided we went with Liu Kang's ending. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, he he survived his skin being peeled off. I keep having these vivid dreams, like thinking weird things. What sorts of things? We're gonna be a hit factory, like Motown, but for computer games. You heard it here first. Bandersnatch. It's an adventure game based on the book. Jerome F. Davies was a genius. See that bloke who went cuckoo and cut his wife's head off? When it's a concert piece, a bit of madness is what you need. You're not hearing voices or... Not voices, but there is something. Bandersnatch was the final straw. 
lets you see the bigger picture. Stefan, you're worrying me. Leave Stefan out of this. Leave Stefan. Your fate has been dictated. You're not in control. So I, I suppose what you were talking about in terms of choices making a difference. If we're looking at predecessors, antecedents of Bandersnatch, I guess if we're looking at video games, I suppose while there's always been these kind of choice-based games, as you say, also choose your adventure books, you could look at maybe the stuff that Telltale have mm. done as maybe the sort of closest thing to that. I guess the big one for them was The Walking Dead. Yeah, I made a note of that one. And we talked earlier, we joked earlier about how to describe this. I kind of feel it's more of a game than a film or a story. It is the most impressive version of that I've found because there's been interactive movies in the past where there's uh, it's uh, like a DVD and every bit loads. And I was deeply impressed by how it just would nearly flawlessly go between scenes. It was very seamless transitions. Yeah. But I still felt like I was playing a game and I think I really enjoyed this, but I feel I'll return, now that I've done it, I'm not sure if I'll ever return to it. I think certainly with these kind of things is that nowadays with games where you are expected to make certain choices and you get good or bad endings based on how you do, for instance, things like Far Cry 3, I can think of, Bioshock, which I sort of mentioned in our live episode, certainly works by Quantic Dream and David Cage, like Heavy Rain and Detroit Become Human, where it's very much about the little incidental choices. I always remember playing Walking Dead, when you talk to someone, there's always a little note which says, so-and-so will remember this, I just and you see... kind of think, oh god, mm. I only asked them if they wanted chocolate bar or crisps. I feel like that's how I'm in the office, where like someone's really passive-aggressive to me, <laughs> and I'm like, Harry will remember this. <laughs> um, uh, but I, th I think the issue is, is that, yes, the replay value, you'd think there'd be more replay value with these sorts of things because of all the different choices you can make and maybe that would be the case at the time but I think nowadays people just play a game go with the choice that they want and then it's just like oh I'll just look up the other endings on YouTube later. Well that's the big change I was going to say I, I was like do you remember when to see the good ending you would play the game for another 12 hours Yeah, <laughs> and um, make sure you don't kill any children. <laughs> um, it's not the same like um, I was thinking of other examples there's Clue which has three endings. When, the film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever, I mean, I guess that's board games got multiple I feel, endings. <laughs> I feel, yeah. So they show up a title, a card, which says, this is how it could have ended. How about this? I feel like how that's how Game of Thrones should have ended. That would have pleased everyone. <laughs> yeah, but when, when Clue was initially released, it had each cinema would play a different ending. And so I guess if you wanted to see them all, you might have to see the film at least three times. You might get a bad day when you... Go and see Clue Part C or Clue Part B. <laughs> well, I, that sort of highlights, I think, the, the very issue with quote-unquote interactive storytelling because I adore Clue and I love that conceit of multiple endings. But it does highlight that nothing in the preceding like 90 or let's say an hour and 20 minutes matters to the end. 
And so, I mean, the very concept of Bandersnatch is, is, is do, do any of your choices matter, ultimately? Not to spoil the end of The Walking Dead Telltale series, which, which I adored and I think had a very good ending. I'm talking about the first season, actually. I've not played the second. But um, the first season ended with a with your, your choices just kind of being listed out by a character. And you, you kind of, after being teased for for months and months that your choices are going to be ma- matter, it really was just somebody saying, yeah, I wouldn't have made that choice. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. But um, also, again, another big famous one was was the Mass Effect trilogy, which is very close to my heart. And while, again, the without spoiling anything, your your all your choices seem to culminate in actually just one bit where you, you have to make another three-part choice. <laughs> and it's like... Well, why didn't we just do the three-part choice? But there are certain characters who, like, through your action or inaction, do die and then never show up again. But they do show up if they didn't die. So there's a bit in the first game where I have to make a real tough choice and then I, I let one person die. And I know for a fact that on my disc, they are still there on Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3. But with, with some actor or actress doing the voice, and I'm just like, you just... What was the point? A You'll whole, never see that content. Never see that content unless I am... Um, I actually am going through it and that, again, like a third or fourth time where I'm definitely being a bastard to everyone. I'm like the most horriblest captain. <laughs> and I'm like complete... I'm always interrupting people who think, we just need some calm in this situation. And then I shoot them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose then maybe let's talk about insignificant choices in Bandersnatch first, or at least those which present themselves as insignificant, because there are certain things which may seem incidental at the time, which maybe manifest itself. I haven't played through it so many times as to see exactly what the cause and effect is like, but... Isn't one of your favourite films the butterfly effect? (laughs) It's... No, it is... (laughs) But I, I recommend everyone watches it because it is shriekingly, brilliantly bad. Well, let's talk about the first choice in Bandersnatch. Famously, mm-hmm. I suppose now That's is for a few months. the choice between Frosties and Sugar Puffs. Now, Harry. Oh, you say that's insignificant. I'm well. I'm, but what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it presents itself as insignificant. It would be in your day to day life. Mm-hmm. It's not the difference between life and death, but I, watching the this... ripples, the butterfly effect, <laughs> as you say. Well, watching this, I did realise how much easier my life would be if every choice I made had a timer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the most indecisive people I know. And it's just like, Harry, just choose. Do you want f- chunky chips or, th- or ch- thin chips in the <laughs> restaurant? I'm like... <gasps> Curly fries! <laughs> well, there is one bit where, like... And I think that's how the f- this plays with you. There's a bit where he's going to flush pills down the toilet... Or um, chuck them out a window or something. But there was no take the pills. And that really infuriated me. And I think that's the show playing with me. But yes, so... Sugar puffs. um, Stop prevaricating. Okay. (laughs) Give me your goddamn answer. Well, I mean, the first time I ever met the woman who became my wife, I was disguised as the honey monster. So I went for sugar puffs. It was like a a screening of Labyrinth and it was a masquerade ball. And I cut out a sugar puffs box... And put honey, honey monster's eyes on my eyes, and a bowl of sugar puffs by my chinny chin chin, so I could munch at them. And she was dressed as David Bowie, so she kind of outdid me slightly. 
but I got yeah. I got most of the good I got most of the comments. Okay. So okay. Well, uh, so, so sugar puffs for me. I went with frosties. I knew you would, because you're such a frosties person. Um, because you're great is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Yes, I'm great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never, so... never seen without a neckerchief. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that the show eases you in mm. with what seems like an arbitrary choice, but because you know Black Mirror and what is expected of Black Mirror, the choice between sugar puffs and frosties becomes agonising, like a life and death situation almost. Well, I think this is just just to touch upon choose your own adventure books. Um, I adored those as a kid, and I read that the choose your own adventure brand attempted or or did it successfully sue Netflix, and um, because the concept of choose your own adventure was apparently defamed by this. But yeah. I don't think anyone leaves this thinking, oh my god, I best not touch a choose your own adventure book ever again. <laughs> Um, I remember when we had our library trips at school, mm-hmm. we went to the library once a week, I think, and we would uh, we were permitted to take out two books, and you can't take out a choose-your-own-adventure book. Choose-your-own-adventure book does not count as fiction. Like, mm-hmm. they were actually warning us against choose-your-own-adventure books. They were considered um, not proper fiction. Well, I loved them, and one of my favourites, which I'm actually desperate to find again... It was something called like Revenge of the Space Vampires. <laughs> and um, I don't even know if it exists, but there's Revenge of the Space Vampires. And I assumed that must mean there was an original Space Vampires <laughs> Choose Your Adventure book, which I realised is not how it works. And I went to the information desk and I was trying to describe Space Vampires. And the only thing they could think of is that, that, that Toba Hoofer life force film yeah. about naked vampires. And she was looking at me like, I, I don't think that's what you're is looking for. Is there a junior novelization? <laughs> Which Life Force I actually unashamedly love, even though it's pure titillation for a lot of it. It's actually one of the few proper big budget horror films. Mm. Well, maybe. But you only reminded me of that because you're talking about seemingly arbitrary choices. And I think one was about going to an abandoned fairground and you had a choice at the start follow the rough kid through the cracked, crack in the fence to the abandoned fairground. Or be a good boy and go back to your hotel. And if you chose be a good boy and go back to your hotel, the very next page is you decide to play video games in the bath and then the video games fall into the bath and you get electrocuted. And like, well, I didn't say be an idiot. I said just go to bed. So that that was the that was the one frustration, and it was it was part of the thrill of choosing an adventure because you'd make you'd always be second guessing yourself. You'd always think, am I going to go for the safe choice? Like, I think I was, You Are Microscopic was another one. It's like, I'm just going to rest on this lovely blob. And it turns out it's made of acid. And mm. you get killed by microscopic acid. Tuckersoft, they do Colin Rittman's games. Oh, not the Colin Rittman. Mr. Tucker, the owner, he said I could show them my Bandersnatch demo. You bander what? Bandersnatch. I based it on the book. Is that your mother's? It was in her things, yeah. Don't know if she read it, though. Don't think so. Jerome F. Davies. Well, he can't be a great writer. You're always flicking backwards and forwards in that. No, it's a choose-your-own-adventure book. Huh? You decide what your character does. They're like a game. Sounds thrilling. How about you decide what you want for your breakfast? 
will seem a bit kiddywink to me, but he will insist. That leads into a little bit about the choices that you make in Bandersnatch, because you are given certain options uh, at certain stages where basically you think the nicer options end up with unsatisfying endings, whereas the show kind of wants you to punish the main character in order to achieve a quote-unquote satisfying ending. So the whole idea of this episode is perfect for the way it's told. Not just in the fact that it's all about video game development, and that's all about choice as well. The game that is being developed is a choice-based game, and that's highlighted in the episode. There is the big question about how much the character Stefan is in control, how much you are in control as the viewer slash player, and how much the creators of the episode are in control. Because... You're deciding Stefan's fate. There are times when he's rallying against you and there's an interactivity between him and you. But then there's also the creators of Black Mirror. They want to lead you down certain paths by creating unrewarding, unsatisfying endings by keeping the main character sane. So, for instance, one of the big choices is whether you accept a... Sorry, I keep on saying you mm. because that also plays into it as well. It's do you want is what do you want for you as the viewer and what do you want for you as the character? And it, there's a really nice interplay between the choices you're making but in terms of are you punishing this poor person by doing so or are you rewarding yourself with a more satisfying story because of it? So Stefan is given the choice whether to accept a role at Tuckersoft to develop his game Bandersnatch, or whether he is to refuse this once-in-a-lifetime offer that he is um, receiving. And I'm, naturally... I'm assuming we both said, yeah, we want to accept it. Yeah. and Because the scene is really built on, yeah, let's take, let's do the job, let's accept it. And that's the, that is the show messing with you. Yeah, it deliberately wants you to lead down this path of... Because you, you don't spend much time with the character before this point, but you know how much it means to him and how important it is. And the look on his face, like sort of beaming, like mm. when this they want to make this game with him. So naturally, your inclination is to accept. And then you find out that that's an unsatisfying ending. You get a sort of premature conclusion. Mm. And then you can rewind and go back. And it deliberately wants you to do that. So when you come to it next time, it repeats that scene... But one of the other characters in the scene, Colin, he's aware that this is a repetition of what's come before. He mentions that he might have met Stefan before uh, when they encounter each other. Stefan is armed with the knowledge that he had before when um, he's watching Colin in the uh, studio working on his current game. When there's an error, he knows exactly what the error is because he's been informed by his previous encounter in, a, in another strand of of the multiverse or whatever and it means that when you do refuse you can then continue the story mm. so the the you very start, you start to feel like you're on a bit of wobbly ground yeah and ve- very early on the creators have introduced the concept that you might be replaying the narrative and nothing is as straightforward as it seems That's, so it's I... it, it's 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 like a video game development tool you know like how in the first level of mario 
you're armed with the tools in order to understand very quickly from the first screen enemy coming at you, what do you do? Jump on it, and then you, oh, okay, now I know I can jump. And then what does this block do? Okay, first one is an empty block, first one is a question block, and you can kind of see the difference between the two different blocks and the properties that they have. So this is in a way explaining how this is going to run um, just through the first few choices. You got all that from Frosties. I got that all from Frosties. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you chose Sugar Puffs, this wasn't clearly apparent to you. No, it's a totally different story. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess from all what you're saying, it does actually make me wonder when you were play- when you were watching this, were you trying to play it as in trying to get the best results, or were you just sort of going with the flow and, and going sort of by by your gut? Because I think I play I play games very much on the latter. I play games like just oh, it's me and I'm doing it, and I just want to go with the flow. And uh, my my wife was watching it with me, and although I was making most of the choices, um, she would occasionally uh, pitch in, and I could tell that her pitches were like very much like I want to get the the sort of entertaining result or the or the, mm. the best result. Um, whereas I was trying to. Not kill my dad right away. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a yeah, there was a bit of toing and froing about certain things. I think I'm very much the same as you. When I'm playing, I'm thinking of myself in that situation, and that's why I kind of confused Stefan and me when I was talking about the character. So when I'm playing a game, it's more it's not about trying to play against the game or trying to get necessarily the best or easiest way through. It's more, what would I necessarily do in that scenario? But then I think later on, when choices start to spiral out of control, you kind of just have to go with what's presented with you and and sort of, fingers crossed, hope for the best. Mm. So there's a few big choices throughout. Things do start to spiral out of control a bit um, the further you go into it. So maybe... Let's have a look at perhaps some of the characters. Okay. Um, so I mean, Stefan is is kind of a, a bit of a cipher then because he is he's not us, but he he is us. We are contro- we are effectively controlling him. But what did you think of the actor? He's called uh, Finn Whitehead. A lot of these actors, the the younger characters, I've not seen in much. So I had not seen Finn in anything. What have you seen him in? Dunkirk. Okay, I have seen Dunkirk. They all look the same, though. They all had the same hats. Okay. <laughs> I thought he was. I thought he was pretty good in this. It's a tricky, tricky role to do. Yeah, I. It's true. He is at the start very much the cipher, but he does have his own identity. And when you are in situations where he is fighting a bit against you, I just wanted the best for him. Mm-hmm. And so I think I kept on doing endings where he got out okay, but then it was unsatisfying in terms of the narrative. So I think the first time I played it round, the ending I got was more positive than some of the other endings that you can do for the character. But I think he he definitely sells the pain and frustration. And certainly when... I think the idea of someone creating something and it turns them mad in the process is fairly hackneyed it's been done quite a lot but i think he does a good job of selling it and i just felt very sorry for him Mm. uh, a lot of the time this sort of story bears a lot of resemblance to donnie darko sure and i think though if he had 
the character Donnie Darker in this, it would be slightly imbalanced because not to not to belittle uh, Finn Whitehead, but if it was like Jake Gyllenhaal as Donnie Darko, I think he's almost too enigmatic or something. He's too so it's quite it's a very subtle performance uh, for Finn Whitehead, and I think I think that works. He he is basically he he realizes he has no control mm. and he's fighting against it, and and you know, and it's funny like because when you got this guy, he's working so hard, he's snapping at his dad. You could come off as a real asshole, but because it's through the, this lens of you, you're making him do that, it's a, it's kind of a really interesting dynamic between you as the audience member and the uh, and the character. And also, just on that as well, the character Stefan Butler. I thought Butler was an interesting choice of surname, oh. as he is there to serve in a, in a certain respect. I'd love to be a butler. <laughs> it's not all. Batmobiles and could be though. <laughs> um, now I saw this very all this interesting program about what it's like to be a butler. All these tips I've learnt to this day, like how to iron a newspaper, wow. and um, pick up a broken champagne glass. <laughs> <laughs> all these all, all these valuable day to day things you need. It's like I, Waitrose essentials. Yeah, I do that at my house all the day. Just ironing newspapers, picking up shattered champagne glasses, mm-hmm. thrown into fireplaces, and moments of uh, anger. Mm. So he has, speaking of anger, he has this antagonistic relationship with his dad. Well, I think there are certain story aspects which remain the same regardless of what you choose. And is it that he is, the dad has always been controlling his son? It depends on which depends. ending you, mm-hmm. you choose. There is one ending where it is revealed that um, his dad has been experimenting on his son in a some sort of trauma program uh, known as Program and Control Study, P-A-C-S. Uh, Colin Rittman, the other character, mentions this in a sort of drug-induced rant about Pac-Man and mentions that Pac stands for Program and Control and that Pac-Man as a character is trapped in this maze can't get out, can't escape, just has to consume, consume, consume. So there is one scenario because uh, Stefan, his mum died in a train crash uh, when he was younger and he could have potentially died with her were it not for the fact that his favourite stuffed toy rabbit had gone missing and he couldn't find the rabbit. Um, So the mum went off without him, but it transpires at least in this scenario, that his dad deliberately hid the rabbit mm. uh, in order for this uh, to happen. But with the study program, it seems like the mum actually didn't die, at least in that scenario. Most of our episodes, we do have an ending. <laughs> <laughs> but in this one, it, 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 it's, so the ending is perhaps, perhaps not so important. I mean, is there an ending, do you think, out there? I didn't encounter one where everyone lives happily ever after and his video game gets five-star reviews across the board and he's not in the prison. I think all the happy endings your video game doesn't get five Mm -hmm. stars. I really liked... When I was doing all the endings where the game does get released and and Stefan does not go insane, I really loved the video game's review show, Mm. which was perfectly pitched like a kind of Tomorrow's World... BBC show from the 80s, similarly parodied in the lights of Look Around You. Mm. It was just completely perfectly realised. And there's this 
really irritating video games reviewer who keeps on giving Bandersnatch 0 out of 5 or 2.5 out of 5, depending on how you've progressed in the episode. And he's quite young, so he's obviously, it was at a time when nobody in the production had any idea about video games. Yeah. So... And all I just kept on thinking was, I just want to make that little shithead <laughs> give me five stars out of five like I deserve. You, so you, you wanted validation from someone you hated. Yes, because he was being a real <laughs> shit about it. Wow. I think that's quite um, telling. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think you're okay, Rory. Yeah. All right. Thanks. <laughs> a part of that is, is part of the whole idea of the tortured artist and the show only rewards the game that you create if Stefan does unspeakable acts in the process in order to to achieve that. So can you separate art from the artist? Oh, I wonder how many skeletons Charlie Brooker had in his closet. <laughs> One of the big choices it presents in relation to the dad is do you kill dad towards the end? And if you do... Well, round about the middle, depending on when you're playing. <laughs> it's like, it came distressingly early for me. Yeah, in order to achieve this 5 out of 5 rating, Stefan does kill his dad and realises that's the only way he can be rid of distractions and that the reason why Bandersnatch could then be the game that he always wanted it to be was because he was uh, giving the players too much choice. And uh, the player, you know, is to be given the illusion of free will, but ultimately it's Stefan that decides the ending, which again speaks to the traitors. It's that they're giving you this illusion of free will because they want you to go in a certain direction, mm. ultimately, with the game. There's another moment where, for instance, Stefan is with Colin at, uh, at his flat, Mm. And uh, he is offered LSD and you are given the choice of whether you want to take the drugs or not to take the drugs. Harry. Well, you know what? My wife made this choice. Uh -huh. She said always. Always take the drugs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, um... but did you see what happens if you don't take the drugs? Uh, no. We selected do not take drugs. Oh, you goody two shoes. But then while you're not looking, Colin drops the LSD tab into your tea. Oh. And you uh, drink it and then, I guess, carry on the same scenario. Wow. But that's, that, that's the thing because, um, you know, talking about illusion of choice, and this works with video games as well, you make a choice which the stakes seem really high at the time and then there might be a slight divergence but then you still land in the same, you know, checkpoint of mm. the story. So whichever path you take, ultimately it's down to the creators of the, of the episode deciding for you. So I thought... While it seemed cheap at the time to just like give you this option and then it doesn't matter which you choose, it's again a commentary on you know what the show's all about. So I mean, talking about the LSD scene though, that was that was the show stopping performance for Will Will Powder who plays Colin. Um, I really like this guy. Um, I first saw him in Son of Rambo, and then he, he's shown up in lots of things, some American things, some British things. Um, I kind of remember. I think the very next thing I saw him in after Son of Rambo was like a sketch show for kids, or by kids, I should say, called School of Comedy. And it wasn't particularly great, but again, Will Powder was just so much better than everyone else in it, too. He was groovy in this, and he was perfectly cast, I felt, as this sort of prodigy um, kind of punk dude who uh, was obviously being used by the company to... Um, piggyback on his talent 
And yeah, when he gives that big impassioned speech about Pac-Man and choice being an illusion, I just thought he was, I was, you could totally buy that Stefan would just fall under his, um, his sway. I mean, I think Stefan already uh, idolizes him before he even meets him because he's made all these famous video games. One of which named Metalhead and Nosedive, which are both Black Mirror episodes. Yeah, well, Metalhead was um, directed by the director of this episode, David Slade. Mm. And I, I recommend watching that one because that's just a really lean, stripped back. It's one of the shortest episodes. And it's pretty much just what if the Terminator, but it was like uh, one of those Boston Dynamics robot dogs. Ooh. He did um that Thirty Days of Night film isn't too bad as well. Yeah, um, Hard Candy. I've not well. seen Hard Candy. I think he's done the only Twilight film I've not seen. <laughs> oh uh, he's directed other TV like Breaking Bad, American Gods, and he directed quite a few episodes of Hannibal, which is a show I very much mm. uh, savor and uh, enjoy. It's his sensibilities. What's this we're eating, by the way? <laughs> Uh, his sensibilities, I think, chime very well with with Black Mirror and um, this episode in particular. People think there's one reality, but there's loads of them all snaking off like roots, and what we do on one path affects what happens on other paths. Time is a construct. People think you can't go back and change things, but you can. That's what flashbacks are. They're invitations to go back and make different choices. When you make a decision, you think it's you doing it, but it's not. It's the spirit out there that's connected to our world that decides what we do, and we just have to go along for the ride. Mirrors let you move through time. The government monitors people. They pay people to pretend to be your relatives, and they put drugs in your food, and they film you. There's messages in every game, like Pac-Man. Do you know what Pac stands for? P-A-C, Program and Control. He's Program and Control Man. The whole thing's a metaphor. He thinks he's got free will, but really, he's trapped in a maze, in a system. All he can do is consume. He's pursued by demons that are probably just in his own head. And even if he does manage to escape by slipping out one side of the maze, what happens? He comes right back in the other side. People think it's a happy game. It's not a happy game. It's a fucking nightmare world. And the worst thing is, it's real and we live in it. It's all code. If you listen closely, you can hear the numbers. There's a cosmic flowchart that dictates where you can and where you can't go. I've given you the knowledge. I've set you free. At the end of Will Powter's speech, though, he, um, he, he, he kind of throws down the gauntlet and he gets onto his patio because he's in a high rise. And uh, on his um, balcony, I should say, you get a choice of whether or not Will, um, Colin, Will Powter, jumps off the balcony or you jump off the balcony. He's going to do this to prove his theory that um, if he jumps off, he'll just reset or something along those lines. And I can't quite remember what he was saying. I just remember thinking, well, prove it yourself, you dickhead. And then, uh, yeah, I pressed Colin jumps and he jumps and then he dies. And then he does disappear. For me, he disappeared for pretty much the rest of the... I think I've played it for another 40 minutes. And he did actually appear at one very interesting point, which I might get to a bit later. But uh, what did, did you get Colin to jump? Yeah, so what, what happened with me was actually first time round, I made Stefan jump. You sadist. Because the fact that we'd already repeated something before 
suggested that if Steph, because Colin was making the point, oh, you've done this before, then if you jump, then you'll just come back. So we made Stefan jump. And then that's when four months later, it says afterwards, there's a review of Bandersnatch, which gives it zero out of five <laughs> or, or two and a half out of five or something. So then we're given the opportunity to go back. So selected Colin then. And then the Bandersnatch appears in the apartment. Did you see that? When you say the Bandersnatch, are you talking the about the dealer? That's actually called a, a PAX, P-A-X. Okay. I was getting a bit confused because like Bandersnatch is from Through the Looking Glass. Okay. Lewis Carroll from uh, poem, the Jabberwocky poem, the Bandersnatch. It's also, coincidentally, in Final Fantasy games, you sometimes have enemies called Bandersnatch. So that's a link to our previous Final Fantasy The Spirits Within episode. And also um, Resident Evil features. Yeah, Alice, Code Ver- Alice in Wonderland bits. Yeah, well, Resident Evil Code Veronica has a Bandersnatch, oh. uh, an enemy called Bandersnatch, which is just like a big ugly thing with a giant arm. <laughs> that describes a lot of the enemies, to be honest. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I, I had, if I selected then Colin dying, then I think we went to... Dr. Haynes's office mm. after that. Well, just before we go to Dr. Haynes, which is another significant character, I think one thing I didn't expect this to do is uh, pretty much get to the end and give you a choice of watching the credits and, and, and finishing your experience mm. or going back to a, to a, a section, to, to restart a bit. And I feel that's one of the things which made it seem more like a video game to me. And I think I think it was the right choice ultimately because I, I wouldn't want to keep watching the same 30 minutes before I got to that significant choice. I think it was a good idea to have these little checkpoints, as it were. When I realised I could pretty much circle back as much as I want, it sort of made the choices seem less um, important. How you end up in those situations where you have the sort of TV screen showing the different ways you can go back the different points you can go back to and replay it was a bit confusing and it seemed a little bit like wait did this just end or did it not because sometimes yes it can go to credits and then other times it just doesn't and it circles back and i I don't think it made itself quite clear Mm. exactly what was happening because it seemed to suggest whether i don't know you'd done the wrong thing and i think like the idea is with these interactive games and movies it creates this then illusion that because you've selected something wrong in inverted commas, that you have to replay that moment. And so in a way it created this idea that, I don't know, it seemed a little bit frustrating that you weren't doing what was wanted, even if, you know, the whole idea is that it's given you this, this choice. Maybe if the episode gave you less choices and made it quite clear what were actual conclusions and what were dead ends to be repeated, I would have found it overall a bit more satisfying to that, actually play. That frustration you mentioned, though, I feel was, like, intentional, too. I mean, sure. I think that's that's why I, I did enjoy the experience, because I do feel like I was being played. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned Will Powter does sh- show up later, and there's, a, there's one bit... When he literally does say something along the lines of, um, to Tucker, he needs to explore all the realities. And that seems to be a very, that seems to be meta commentary. That seems to be, 
I don't know if that was always there or if it's triggered by me doing about four or five different endings already, but he was literally saying, you know, you have permission to keep trying all the endings. Mm, mm. But I think the last sort of significant character in this is uh, the the therapist, uh, Dr. Haynes, played by the uh, incomparable Alice Lowe. Yeah. um, Who is just a darling <laughs> she um i first came to my attention in garth Meringi's dark place she's fantastic and she, when so she's gone on to not only be hilarious in things like sightseers which i think she she created the character uh, where these two people are going around the country in a camper van uh, also murdering people she also did a Prevenge, which i've not seen all of have you seen it all? oh yeah i went to see it at uh, London Film Festival, it was great. She it was filmed when she was pregnant, and she decided, I'm going to make a film while I'm pregnant, and she shot it. And it's all about her unborn child trying to get her to murder people. Mm-hmm. I've also listened to her a bunch of times on this, on this other podcast I enjoy, The Evolution of Horror, where she's very interesting when she's talking about um, folk horror. So it was really nice to see her like pop up. And, yeah, I, um, I didn't know she was in this. She plays a therapist because I think Stefan has already, even before the the thing begins, seems to be struggling with reality slightly. Yes, I mean he's he's suffering from this traumatic event, as we mentioned. I mean it happened when he was quite young, but it's still clearly um, affecting him. So his dad is taking him to these therapy sessions to make sure he's he's doing okay but yes from the start there is this idea that not everything is going well for him and he's suffering from uh, some sort of a mental illness i think one of the big decisions is when you're asked do you want to talk about your past trauma and not and i said usually i would, would skip this <laughs> i've been playing a lot of zelda recently and sometimes characters say do you want to hear about my backstory? And often I'm pressed for time, so I do skip it. <laughs> but I went, said, Stefan, please tell me about your past. And you get a flashback. Did mm. you go this route yeah. as well? Yeah. Lots of video games. They they pretend that you can play as a villain, but you you quickly find out you get all the best stuff if you if you do quests and get rewards. I think I have been conditioned to... I guess, are to go down the route, which I think will get a prize <laughs> at the end. The flashback of his um, his mum disappearing for the last time and being killed by a, a train becomes quite significant. So I do wonder what happens if you don't go down that route. Though, from what you're telling me, I imagine Alice Lowe just says, I think you should tell me about your, your, your mum. Quite possibly. It's also one of the times where the choice you're given is only one choice because Stefan as a child he's asked whether he can whether he wants to go on the train ride with his mum but is looking for his rabbit and the only choice that's given in that moment is no so you can't choose yes or no oh, that's you, true you have to I say no that. Mm. but um later on in depending on which branches you go down I think Stefan adult or teenage Stefan goes through the looking glass and into his flashback. And just like uh, Bandersnatch. Just like Bandersnatch. And um, because this little kid, he's looking for his rabbit and that's what causes the delay 
to get to make the run get a different train. And um, at one point, I think you can return the rabbit, thereby changing destiny. Though well, again, I'm struggling. I'm at, I'm at the gosh. Now I know what Donnie Darko felt like. Very... That that had lots to do with rabbits as well. Very much so. <laughs> Uh, yes, that's one of the endings. Effectively, you decide that Stefan should kill himself by returning to the past, returning the rabbit so that kid Stefan can then find the rabbit, take the train with the mum, and die with her. And it ends with him sort of sinking in his chair in the therapist's office, uh, dead. As a result of that, I don't think I forgot that because it really does depend on what you do. You, you have confrontations with your dad. I, did, did, were you telling me about the dad? Sometimes is a complete innocent, and sometimes he has been controlling and experimenting on his son. Mm. But more often than not, I found you end up um, getting an ashtray, which is given a lot of prominence in the opening of the film. He, he the, his uh, dad sticks a cigarette in his heavy glass ashtray multiple times just to get it stuck in your head, as it were, <laughs> which, end, which ends up happening because Stefan does grab the uh, ashtray and smacks his dad around the face of it. And there's a very, I think, effective uh, special effect or, or, or viscera coming out of his head. And then you've got a choice to, I think, either cut him up or bury him or both. I think in the later news report, they say he was cut into eight bits, which is, uh, I think, a, oh, I didn't spot a, that. a sly dig <laughs> at video games. So did you then decide to kill Dad or bury him or chop him up? Well, not at first. Okay. So, I think as a so what ending did you get then? What was the first route that you, like, full ending that you got? Well, just talking about the dad, I think the first time the, the option to kill dad shows up is, as I said, relatively early. And there's a choice of shouting at dad and I think killing him. Or maybe there was shouting at... <laughs> I was going to say shouting at your computer, shouting at your tea, pouring the tea on your dad. <laughs> I'm getting all the choices mixed up. No, there was pouring tea on your computer or bashing the computer. Um, I think I, le- I left it as late as I could when it came to killing my dad. So... Um, I think the way my my third act ended was I, I discovered that dad had hidden the rabbit. You kind of end up sitting at your computer and I think Stefan calls out, I know you're there, I know you're watching, show me a sign. And then you get a symbol or the Netflix logo. The symbol is this glyph which looks like a branching path in a story and it's been all over his walls it was on the walls yeah it was the glyph which is on the walls of the original author of bandersnatch as well like painted in the blood of his wife so there's the symbolism there it's also the symbol in the white bear episode Mm, of black mirror 2 i think wasn't isn't create isn't in the show the creator of bandersnatch the book a famous video game fella. Yeah, it's played by Jeff Minter, mm. um, who's an actual British video game developer responsible for Tempest 2000 and Attack of the Mutant Camels. He's a sort of a legend of the British video game scene. Mm. So um, where I ended up, I think this was the moment where I thought the game was messing with me and I went for Netflix, but it automatically moved to the uh, glyph. But then I realised, I realised, no, that was me just 
being butterfingers. You end up going downstairs and your dad's asking what's wrong. And then um, I ended up killing him in the kitchen with the ashtray. And then I uh, buried him. Okay. I think I do. No, I think definitely the end of my story was I was in a prison cell at the end of it. Okay. And I think... Uh, I think at that time I was getting the five stars, so I got the I got the happy ending for every, all the P public out there playing my wonderful Bandersnatch video game. I feel a bit sorry for the dad, even in the killing him scenarios, even if he deserves it based on what your paranoid dreams give Stefan, because there's this one bit. Black Mirror is is dark and disturbing. That there's always humour. Well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes humour. Depends. Humour's at different levels. You have but a sixth sense of humour. Yeah. Um, but there's this bit when Stefan's walking in and the dad just turns to him and announces, I'm defrosting mints. <laughs> mm. As soon as that happened, I went, I looked over to Lisa and I said, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> and she was like, I didn't want to say anything, but yes, that is absolutely what you do. You just announce to everyone the mundane task that you're doing yeah. as if it's to be celebrated. It's the highlight of my day. Top I'm... five of my week. <laughs> I'm defrosting mints. <laughs> mm. I just, uh, I love that. So I felt sorry for the dad's death in any scenario. So did you then get the follow-up ending where the grown-up daughter of Colin... Yes. When you hit end credits for the first time, I think this might happen every single time, because we do flash to present day, which is 2018. Yes. (laughs) Colin and Kitty had a kid called Pearl who grows up and discovers the code for Bandersnatch, and she decides to recreate it for for modern audiences... I think there's a, there's a very much like it's a classic sort of horror film moment where, oh, it's all starting again. Yeah. Do, do you start making choices for her? She is making it for Netflix now. Mm-hmm. She's adapting it for Netflix. And then mm-hmm. there is a choice to throw the tea <laughs> over the computer when it starts going wrong. Mm. And I think that's how you um, finish the episode. At least I think you sort of... I, Pour, she poured the tea over the keyboard and then that's the that's the end. It kind of glitches out. Mm, yeah, that's, that's what I got. For a moment, for a hot minute, I thought there's going to be another 40 minutes to get through um, in modern day. I think this was actually the first ending proper that we ended up with was when it says, who's there? We selected Netflix. Mm-hmm. And then on his screen, it appears, I am watching you on Netflix. I make decisions for you. Netflix is a streaming platform from the 21st century. It's like TV, but online. I control it. Mm. So I think his dad then asks him, what's what's the matter? What's going on? And Stefan says, I'm being controlled by someone from the future. (laughs) And um, uh, he says, shall I contact Dr. Haynes? And Stefan says, yes, please. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) (laughs) yes, please. Yeah, it's really quite quite sweet in that moment even if his brain is is melting i'll I'll just explain i'll just wrap up this netflix ending stefan then goes to dr haynes office and she's querying the fact that surely if someone was watching you this would be more entertaining and then the question is would you want more action and then you're given yes or fuck yeah as your options and if you select fuck yeah as we did 
you're given the option to either leap through a window or fight her. Mm-hmm. We selected fight her. She pulls out some nightsticks or whatever and starts doing kung fu fighting. Mm-hmm. Then your dad bursts in and grabs you by the neck and holds you up. And you can choose to karate chop him or kick him in the balls. And uh, then you get dragged out by security screaming, saying it's all Netflix, it's all Netflix. Mm. Alternatively, if you leap through the window, you hear cut, and then it turns out that the therapist's office is a set, a director walks on, and it reveals the illusion that this is all just a scripted drama. So, you're being controlled by someone on Netflix. What is Netflix? Is it a planet? I don't know. Some sort of future entertainment thing. Like a computer game? I don't know. It's from the 21st century, they said. Okay, well, let's try to pick it apart logically and see if we can define if this is reality or delusion. It's not a delusion. Okay, let's go through it. Okay. So, all of this is happening to entertain someone. Someone who's controlling you. Uh Uh-huh. So why aren't you in a more entertaining scenario? What do you mean? Well, look at you. You're in a small, ordinary room, an ordinary part of the world, talking to an ordinary woman. If this was entertainment, surely you'd make it more interesting. Inject a little action, isn't that right? I mean, wouldn't you want a little more action if you were watching this now on telly? Yes, it's very much product placement and it's very much a commentary on you're watching Netflix, ha ha ha. That's what like the BBC often do with, in their own things too. Like I actually quite like that sometimes. Yeah. And like yeah. with the Simpsons and the Fox Network, I think it's kind of fun to have biting the hand that feeds them. Yeah. You know, that's like a big reference in of itself. It's, it's talking about Netflix very, very directly with the uh, characters involved with the show. Again, there's there's references like Tucker Software. You see Tucker in lots of Black Mirror episodes. They're usually the name of a company or something. There's plenty of Easter eggs, and I'm sure more manifest themselves the more you kind of click around. And I think I've looked at most of what happens. There's a few things like whether you choose to chop up Dad or bury Dad. I think ultimately you do end up in jail, of course, but I think different characters come and visit you as a result of that. Lots to see. (laughs) I read that this this was not was not just an experiment for Black Mirror, but it was an experiment for Netflix to see what this sort of storytelling does. And although Netflix never released their sort of their ratings, there's sort of other outfits which test how well a show is done by just how well they do in social media and things. They did release a few little statistics about the choices that people made. Would oh, you like to hear? Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna so, hear how vanilla I am. They said that in terms of choosing to accept the job or refusing the job at Tucker Soft, um, 73% chose accept first time. Yep. Which pretty much speaks to what was the intention. Mm. In the great Frosty's Sugar Puffs debate, who do you think triumphed? I'm going to say Frosty's. 
60% Frosties. Ah, oh, sound too cool. I think that's. I think possibly it's to do with international audiences. I don't yeah. know about Sugar Puffs prevalence in the states or anything. No, everything else is sugary, but their puffs are savoury. <laughs> savoury puffs. Savory. A nice juicy mm. ball of savoury puffs. Yummy. <laughs> and then in terms of the throwing tea over the computer choices that are given to you, uh, British audiences, fifty-two point nine percent chose to throw tea over the computer, but the rest of the world. chose throw tea. So it suggests that British audiences are slightly less inclined to waste a good cup of tea. That's just... Oh, dear. Racism exists. (laughs) Um, Stereotyping is real. It is, very much so. How dare you, Netflix. Mm. I actually love it when people, like, rass on on Britain because I think it's well-deserved and I really really enjoy it. Oh, sure. When uh, people take the mickey out of our teeth and things. It's, um, It's just... Tickles me. Yeah. Um, 100% justified. I definitely would recommend this. I mean, I um, as soon as I was given like the choice and sugar puffs and frosty, it was like, ooh. Uh, and there was like a, a section when you had to set one music you listened to on the bus and you had a choice between, now that's what I call music two and uh, Thompson Twins. Um, I put that to my wife, who's very much an audiophile. She went for Thompson Twins. I can only guess that you were. Now that's what I call music. I was now that's what I call music too. And I think I won because they played Eurythmics. So oh, you probably won then, yeah. The, the choice of compilations, you know, could have been anything, but yeah. That was a nice little touch. So yeah, lots of fun. Just so set aside an evening though, because you, you could go literally down the rabbit hole, as it were, trying to see it all. I think it's fine to just finish where you finish though. I, I don't think seeing it all bears too many revelations but uh, as i said earlier now that i've done it now that i've i think i have seen it all as, as good as all the performances were and the story was um i feel like i've i've seen it all and so i think i might return to this a little bit less if at all than i might do um some of the classic black mirror episodes and it's, it's actually listed separately uh on netflix it's it's it is its own thing yeah, give it a go. Would you agree or disagree? Yes, I would very much recommend playing along with Bandersnatch. I think the experience itself is not as satisfying in the process of watching slash playing it, but I have been thinking about it a lot since. I watched it a few days ago, and even though I haven't gone back to replay it beyond the process of doing so where I did pick a few different options and see what happens with that. I've been thinking about it a lot and I think the strength of it is not just in the method of telling. I think in terms of the production, I think in terms of the performance, in terms of how everything is put together, I think it has it captures a very specific moment in time in Britain and I think it does that very well. I think the commentary that it has is very interesting and the way it plays around with the format. I think the idea that we are implicated directly um, with the character, it's not, I thought it was going to be more an interactive movie and you just select what happens to the characters and you get an ending. I didn't expect so much of you as the viewer breaking the fourth wall to the character or, you know, even gently tapping on the fourth wall um, rather than necessarily 
directly. But the fact that it was constantly playing with this idea of whether you are Stefan, what Stefan is doing in relation to you, there's a bit where you can either make him bite his nails or pull his earlobe and he's directly fighting against it. It's one of the first moments where he's really rallying against the choices that have been made for him. And I really found that like an interesting take on the idea of interactive storytelling. So I, in terms of whether there's a future for this kind of thing, yes, perhaps maybe, but I don't think there's going to be something which it may do it in a more dramatically satisfying way, possibly, I'm not sure. But I think unless you have this kind of self-referential commentary running through it, you wonder what would be the purpose for making something interactive. I don't know, what do you you think? Would there be any other kind of ways to do so? I remember when this came out, I think a few people were clutching their pearls and saying oh, this is just trying to destroy cinema as we know it, but I, I think this is going to have the same impact as, uh, on cinema as, you know, those 4DX experiences at theme parks where, like, a Terminator pops up in your seat or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's fun. And I think because of the brand of Black Mirror, they could perhaps bit, make it a bit slicker than what we might usually get. I'd I'd play another another one of these, but um, this is a has a high bar because you know Charlie Brooker is, is a very good writer and um, yeah I uh, I don't think this is going to be the future. No, I mean, but I don't think it's meant to be. I don't think no. this is trying to be the future of entertainment. And maybe people will think, oh look at this, it was a failure because we didn't get thousands of interactive movies at the end of it. I don't think it's trying to be you know, the evolution of cinema and I hope people don't judge it as being some sort of like evolutionary cul-de-sac as a result of that. I think it's very much just, here's a medium where we can do this. We've got the cachet and the money in which to make it happen. So let's give it a spin. And yeah, I think the issue with these kind of things is that no one thread is going to fully satisfy. And I found that, I, I, I found it maybe a little bit frustrating ultimately a little hollow as an experience because it sets up all these threads and strands that you know depending on what choice you make will then become dead ends and red herrings as a result of it and it kind of has to keep all these plates spinning depending on what choice you make you know it needs to give you all these different uh options and because of that I mean, what you were saying is like not replaying it or you only need to play through it once. I slightly disagree because I think, yes, it's it's not like I suggest you re- you watch this all as if you read a choose-your-own-adventure book from page one to page finish. Like, obviously, that would be a foolhardy exercise and very confusing and not very interesting. But I think because of the nature of the episode and what it's talking about, it is best viewed as an exercise in branching narratives. It works because the story itself is a commentary on interactive media. You know, the game that's been developed is a 3D monster maze and you're interacting with characters and then given a binary choice as a result of that. So I think it works in this context because of what it is, where if it was just one story episode and it does pick one specific thread it probably wouldn't be like the best black mirror episode 
So in a nutshell, watch it or don't watch it. It's the, your choice. Yeah, the choice is yours. <laughs> <laughs> to quote, blind date. <laughs> I'd like to see maybe some interactive light movies. I think some of my favourite choices were the music choices. Like you can get a choice between, I think, Tangerine Dream album or a Tomita album. And that then becomes the soundtrack of the game development montage which happens. And so I think something like soundtrack choice, which doesn't really alter anything beyond maybe setting the tone of a sequence or, you know, a tiny bit of dialogue, that might be quite satisfying. I'd like to see it maybe in maybe some comedies and things where you can choose the tight, this is the take when they did the actual script with the good jokes compared to what most comedies are nowadays where do I want to sit through two minutes of baggy improv as they work out this scene? Ooh, take that Judd Apatow and your two and a half hour comedies. It'll be like, go back to your mints. (laughs) (laughs) Do I want to defrost mints or sausages? Yeah. The the film. (laughs) Sounds like a perfect date movie. (laughs) (laughs) Mints and sausage. I don't think this is 100% success, but... I think it's very interesting and a really worthwhile experience. And I am pleased that some mad people decided to try and make something that uh, just about works. <laughs> That's Black Mirror Bandersnatch uh, done and dusted. But what are we uh, dusting off next? We've decided to remain in the 80s. And do something again, which is not a video game adaptation, but is keeping in the milieu of 80s video game culture, specifically the video game arcade experience. And we're going to be looking at a potentially problematic 1980s comedy called Joysticks. What would be problematic about that, do you think? It's available on Amazon Prime in the UK, at least. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, In the meantime, you can find all Games on Film related material at our website, gamesonfilm.witchsite.com slash podcast. You can find it through tinyurl.com slash gofpod. We're on the social media websites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at gamesonfilmpod. You can email us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at only man who can. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Do you have anything to plug? Um, just stand-up comedy. I'm doing that still. So, uh, yeah, check out my website or my Facebook page. And you can also look up Gamer Disco for video game and music nights in London. Well, um, I'm not quite sure what happened during this episode, but I think that was kind of the point. Um, I hope you join us again for our next episode. Until then, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.